everyone. We're at episode 5. Karthik and I are loving the feedback, so keep it coming. This next episode is one for all our viewers out there looking to make career transitions. In episode 5, Karthik and I talked to Tash Singh. Tash started his career in engineering at Spiron Communications and quickly moved on to tech sales. He has since held many roles as the VP of Sales and Business Development for Spiron, HAE Innovations, and A-Century. He is now the co-founder and VP of Sales for ATXTEL. All right, everyone. I know what you're all thinking at this point about the name of the episode. The episode is named The Pitch, not because Tash comes from a sales background, but because Tash talks about what it means to take the first step towards approaching a problem with an amazing baseball analogy. He also talks about what it means to make career transitions and what factors should be considered before making that decision. In our interview with Tash, Karthik and I notice a recurring theme. He not only talks about how one can advance in their careers, but also how one can contribute to the growth of their organizations. He emphasizes on team and team building. He talks about what it takes for an employee to contribute to a team and what it takes for an organization to help their employees see and contribute to their vision. This interview with Tash helped Karthik and I realize how important it was to understand the organization that we worked for. Karthik and I would love to hear what stood out to you guys in this interview. Let us know in the comments. Hi, Tash. Welcome to the EITF project. I'm really happy to have you here. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, yeah. And thank you for the invite. Yeah. I think, I think your perspective for the experts in their fields project will be really useful um, because you come from a very different angle. A lot of us here are engineers and uh, making that transition from engineering to tech sales is is complicated to say the least, and being successful in sales is even more complicated. So uh, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this, and I'm very excited. No, I'm looking forward to have a chat, and I'm I'm glad you guys are doing this uh, uh, this forum here. I think it's a good uh, you know good way to kind of get some of the the older people's wisdom, basically uh, you know for some of the younger uh, uh, newer generation of uh, entrepreneurs and. Uh, people coming up so all right great so um with that i'm gonna go into my first question what was your first job and what is one piece of knowledge that you took away from it that you carry with you today oh okay so that's that's many 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 years ago now but uh let me just step back so um i graduated uh as an engineer as a hardware engineer i actually interviewed as a hardware engineer and then I remember my first job or went to this interview and the throughout the interview process, people would ask me, hey, are you interested to be in, to be a sales engineer? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, the term sales engineer is a little bit oxymoron to me, right? Like sales engineering, like that just does not really jive for me. So I really didn't understand what, what that meant. And it just surprisingly, like, um, you know, after the interview, they actually offered me a job as a system engineer, or basically a sales engineer. And the only reason I kind of at that time took the job was they promised I get to travel a lot. 
And as a young person coming out of college, you know, you don't really think a lot. You're like, hey, I'm in a tech, I get to travel around. That's great. I'll take it. And that's kind of, you know, kind of accidentally kind of gone into quote unquote sales, uh, sales side of the business. Um, and it's been really a tremendous, you know, uh, experience for me. I think in the uh, you know, last 20, 30 years, I, I work in the tech industry um, just to be able to really kind of meet people and talk to people and really understand how other businesses operate is something I, don't, I think a lot of people don't have the chance to do that, uh, especially for fresh out of college people, right? Um, you know, you don't really have that level of experience. So the customer facing piece of that was really something that I really cherish. And, you know, frankly, I was a little terrified when I got started, but you know, I think over time I learned to really appreciate and to, to be to be on the external interfacing side of the business. So that's really one of the things that um, you know, I think I'm really grateful. Uh, in, in terms of the stuff I care, still carry with me is, you know, you really can't really plan all the time. I you know when I came out of college, I kind of had this ambition of things I wanted to do. You kind of map out the career path you think you wanted to take. You just don't know sometimes, you know, sometimes things just happen. And I think the best, maybe the best advice I have for, you know, even including my own son today is, look, there's a lot of different opportunities and you just don't know. And a lot of time, I think the best way to measure what that is, is, hey, can I learn something new? You know, whatever you take on, whatever the job you do, hey, am I going to be able to learn something new that I didn't know before? And if the answer is yes, I think you should, you know, take that chance and, and, and see where that takes you. I think I like the part when you said that, oh, I, I went to sales because uh, because I wanted to travel quite a bit. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, that's right. You know, yeah. I mean, I've actually been um, on the other side of an interview where an engineer came in and was very clear that, you know, she wanted to do sales. You know, coming from engineering, what do you think? is should be the motivation apart from travel um, <laughs> for for an engineer to consider going into sales. Definitely sales is not something that I would say everybody can get used to because you're constantly really working. You represent the company because you're you're doing a lot of external facing. You represent the company. That comes with good and bad as well, right? So you have to deal with a lot of uh, customers' objections. You got to constantly do that. So it's something that you kind of have to learn to grow into. I personally think it's a great opportunity because it kind of expose you to more, not just your own organization, but also you know your customers and, and partners that you you work with, your company work with. So I think it's a great opportunity to have that kind of exposure uh, overall. So I, I think it really depends on where your aspiration is. I think a lot of people come out with an engineering degree. The other thing is, hey, I want to be an engineer. That's why I chose to take the engineering major in, in college. And you should try it. You should definitely try it. But I think when the opportunity comes, you know, look around. I mean, I think I see a lot of engineers in the previous company I worked for. They eventually move into marketing. They move into product management. They do you know, market communications. There's a lot of different opportunities. I think having that technical background really helps, right? I think... Being an engineer, we tend to be a lot more analytical, and it's a, it's a great background to have. And, and obviously, being in the tech industry, 
you're talking most of the time to technical people anyway. So I, I, I know traditionally engineers don't move into sales immediately, but that's something that, you know, it's worth looking into. Um, it, it's definitely something that's not like the first thing you say, hey, I want to be a salesperson or a tech company, but something to th think about. Yeah, I think I can relate because I, in, at some point of my career, used to be in pre-sales where I would build products and go to demos to get customers right. to get, uh, to use my product. And then the actual folks will come to the numbers and all of those games would start. I totally understand where you need to know your technology domain pretty well before you start selling a customer on it. And, you know, and then that, that is really part of this, the overall sales process, right? So I established that trust, that technical capability, the trust with the customer. Yeah. So like I said, it, it's something different. <laughs> Definitely. So what is one turning point in your career that's gotten you here? Yeah, I, I think the one turning point probably when I left my previous company and funny enough, we got acquired again, the com previous company I was working with got required. Um, but the first time I left the company, you know, it's kind of, I was there for over 20 years and kind of have you know, gone through different organizations and and you know mostly in the sales and marketing side of it and you know i learned a lot i understood how you know business operation works um but when i when i decided to leave i thought that was probably one of the best decisions i made in my career um even though i went and did my own startup worked for a startup one of them didn't work out one of them turned out to be good it was the best thing I think I, uh, a best decision I think I made in my career. And there's nothing wrong with the previous company I was working for. Uh, great company with a lot of great people. Um, it just, it was time. Um, it was time for me to move on and learn something new. And really um, that realization came to me probably about 12, 13 years into my job at this company. I kind of grew up within the organization. I eventually managed our Asia pack business and very, very successful. You know, if you were done any kind of Asia business in the early 2000s, you know, business was going straight up and extremely, extremely proud of what we built. But eventually, you know, when they started to do reorg and stuff, I got move out of there. I end up still going and do European business. At that point, I think the big, the, the biggest lesson learned I had was I got too complacent. Um, I think you got to a point where you always get pretty complacent in, in the job. You're very good at it. You kind of you kind of know what you need to do. And remember what I mentioned earlier about learning new things. I think I stopped learning new things. So at that point, I made a decision like say, hey, you know, every four or five years, I really need to do something different. You know, I could stay in the same company, but I just need to move around. I cannot just get pigeonholed into doing the same thing um, because number one is really not helping me. And I, I think most importantly, it's really not helping the company. So when I took that leap, that was, that's probably one of the things that I, I wish I had done it earlier, <laughs> you know, instead of staying in a, a company for longer than uh, 20 years. But, but I had the opportunity to move around within the organization to really learn more things and learn how to manage uh, uh, you know, a business. And that's one of the things I decided to do when I left the company was to try to do something on my own. Yeah, that's that's a huge learning experience when you try to do something on your own. Um, I yeah, yeah. A bit, yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, you touched a little bit on working in international markets and I want to expand mm-hmm. a little bit on that question. So when, when someone say um, starts working in a new market internationally, uh, like you said, Asia Pac or Europe, or in general, mm-hmm. just, you know, starts over in a different country, what do you mm-hmm. think you should focus on to, you know, start to build that um, career there? I think communications. Um, I think, you know, it's, it, it, we, we all think like right now, hey, we're living in the commu- you know, connected world and we communicate well because we send email and stuff. When I got started, we didn't even have laptop. We had no pager, we had nothing. When, we, when I did my first international trip, my manager literally just said, go. The only thing I get every single day was a bunch of faxes. And people learn, you know, how to conduct business by writing a one page, very short, concise messages every day, only one. Um, you learn how to operate that way. And, and I think, you know, over time, I think, you know, especially when you're dealing internationally, you really have almost have to over communicate uh, with people uh, because a lot of time you're not quite sure people really understand what you're saying. There's a lot of things we kind of take it for granted. Some of the words we use or the, the process we talked about that does not translate well uh, sometimes internationally. So you you almost need to you know like I say over communicate uh, to your to the partners that you're dealing with or the customers that you're dealing with overseas. And you know remember you are representing your company. So what you say has a lot uh, you know carries a lot of weight and it's very important. So yeah, so it it's definitely something to get get used to. I think. And the other thing is, you know, culturally, how people do business in each country are also very, very different. Um, and, you know, I learned that when early part of my career, traveling to Japan, for example, it's, you know, a lot of time you don't really quite understand why people communicate the way they do. Um, but yeah, it's great learning experience. Awesome. So, so you talk about communication being the key. Uh, so say a person entering new into the space, right? And he needs to go into a room full of experienced individuals and say wants to come up with an idea or propose an idea. How does one need mm-hmm. to approach the situation when you have veterans sitting in the room? I think the first lesson I learned from my manager was 80-20 rule. You, you ask 80, 80% of the time you're asking questions and you're listening and the other 20% you, you, you're talking. You know, I don't want to generalize it, but I think that's a good rule of thumb. You know, ask thoughtful questions, um, especially if you're new to a certain organization, you're new to, uh, or you know, you're just a, a, a new hire in the company, you don't know what's going on. The, the kind of question you ask really help people form an opinion about yourselves. You know, I think people will know, hey, this guy asked really thoughtful question. Obviously, he shows he, he cares. Uh, he has the interest in understanding better. And from those questions, give people a very concise, short answers or recommendations. The, the one thing you, you'll probably learn is, you know, people that goes higher in their, in their career, they write very short emails. <laughs> they don't write it three paragraph emails, like a lot of young guys would do. They just tend to write yes, no, yep, go ahead and one, do it, whatever. One-liners. <laughs> one-liners, and it's very short and concise. Yeah, and and, and I th- I'm not saying that's the approach you typically would take when you recommend certain things, but asking the right questions and, and provide short and concise 
uh, of feedback is very, very good. I think it's it really helps. It takes time to learn, to ask the good questions, and also takes time to kind of really break down the answers and form an opinion about it and, and be able to deliver in front of a large group is also very important. Uh, to add to that, in my experience, at least, I think it's also important to ask one-on-one, -on -one, at least the dumb questions to learn yeah. more about the product. This is my favorite question to ask. I mean, you obviously learned a lot during the course of your career. What is one thing that you had to unlearn? Oh, yeah, that's a... Uh... That's kind of difficult. I would say it's probably not something you unlearn. I think it's difficult to unlearn anything. I think maybe certain decision you make. There's certain things I would probably do a little bit maybe differently. Would be I would have probably traveled less. I travel way too much uh, in, in my career, and part of that I think you know maybe come back to maybe something we can talk a little bit about is about also managing people and trusting people that you have the team you have to do the things that you need to do. I used to literally travel 50% of my time. And, you know, there's certain reason for that. Some of it is just, hey, you know, we're ramping up. We need to do certain things in, 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 in the region. But I think there was probably a time that I could probably step back and say, hey, you know what, I'll let my team in the region do it themselves. And I probably, if you ask me, hey, if I looking back, if I could do things a little differently, I'll probably travel less and spend more time at home with my family. So you talk about kids, you talk about family, and mm -hmm. a common thing that you hear these days is work-life balance. So how does one strike the right work-life balance? You know, I think maybe you also have to go back to how you look at yourself and, and what you've seen in your job. I mean, in terms of my job, you know, when, especially if you do international side of business, you you basically almost always working right either you're doing you're dealing with people in europe or you're dealing with people in asia and the time zone differences you're pretty much always working work-life balance is definitely very important but i i kind of look at it more about the purpose right you know at work you have certain purpose that you want it to be successful you want to move your career further and so forth so as long as you kind of focus on that purpose i think each one of us kind of know what we need to do same thing on the personal side, your family side, you need to have certain purpose. And I think sometimes they will conflict. And, and that's, I think each person kind of have to try to figure out, hey, what's the right balance for you um, in terms of one over the other? Yeah, I mean, working, you know, a weird hour, is that, is, that, is that good or bad? Hey, your job is to have to do that. I don't think you really have a whole lot of choices. Um, even if your family is not happy, but I think there's other way that you need to balance that out uh, with your own personal uh, situation. So uh, I want to shift focus a little bit towards organizations and contribute mm -hmm. towards an organization's success. I'll, I'll focus a little bit on tech sales to begin with. Uh, my first question is, as someone who is in tech sales, how long do you think someone should, uh, how much time during the day they should spend developing relationships with existing customers versus prospecting for new customers? And secondly, uh, this is a two-part question. Secondly, sales, when I think about it, is a, it's a complicated job. Everybody has visibility into what you're doing. Like you said, you know, it's easy to read. You have numbers, right? How do you think someone in sales can, like you've been part of a small company where, where the number is pretty apparent and the pressure mm -hmm. of getting to that number is, is pretty high. So how do you think someone in sales can, you know, carry the weight of that pressure as well as focus 
on on their own jobs. Yeah. So you know, may answer your first question first in terms of the, the amount of time. You know, I think I, I tend to look at more as you know customer facing time versus like kind of the time you spend in you know kind of trying to trying to figure out what the next thing you need to do. And I think a little bit about sales is that hey, there's really not a very defined kind of role. You know, it's not like every morning you get up and say, okay, I have this project I have to do in five weeks from now. And I'm, yeah, I know there's certain things I got to get done today. Um, it, it, you know, when I was managing the team, I, I always use this analogy, the baseball analogy, right? If you want to get a run, you can't, you know, if you, every time you just try to shoot for a home run, yeah, you're probably going to lose most of the time. Uh, the whole thing about really winning is you got to, number one, to be consistently doing the right thing. Right. And it's like, okay, I got to get on the base. I got to get a first base first before I can get to you know, second base. Right. And, and, and so on and so forth. So you have to put the work in. And when I, when I was managing my team, um, you know, in the, in, in the last company, I actually drew this baseball field out. You know, I said, Hey, getting on first base is almost prospecting. You got to prospect your customer so you can get on first base. And after you get on your base, then you got to do some discovery. You got to work with your customer to understand what they need, what information you need to give them. And so discovery. So let's get you on the second base. And if you want to get on the third base, which is like, hey, I can start doing a deal with you and so forth. You know, that takes on more work. And, and you're not always going to be able to get all the way to the third base or, or get back home and score. But if you don't do it, you're never going to get any point. Right. And it's the same thing in sales. In, in my mind, you have to do these legwork. You have to constantly go out, interface with your customer, check in with your customer, finding out what they're doing, how they're doing things, are there things that we can do for them? So so I think you it is it, it is a it's a big chunk of job that you typically a lot of people usually don't see. They kind of see a lot more of the other part of the organization they tend to see the engagement part of it. But they are some of that background piece that that sales guy do. So most of the sales guy can be be able to balance both of them out. Um, and so so that maybe hopefully answered your first question. You know, I, I think the, uh, the the second question really, I think you kind of, you kind of describe carrying the weight. I, I think I kind of look at everyone in the company carry, I guess, equal amount of weight. Maybe some people carry a little bit more because of the position you're in. But I think a, a well-run company tend to able to really convey the cost, you know, the company's value, mission, and really what they're trying to accomplish. You know, filter that information all the way down to even the the the, the least uh, level people in the organization. If you really want a, a company to be successful, you need everybody in the company to really know what you're trying to accomplish. And a good manager, in my mind, is that you are able to convey that message down to your team and, and explain to them why what they're doing are important to the company. You know, ultimately we all work for the company. Beautiful. I always tell the guys, if you don't like the company, you can always leave. You don't like the job, you could always leave. No one's holding the gun until you have to work here. So our allegiance is to the company. But as a manager, you have to explain that. You got to be able to explain to your team what you do, how does that translate back to the, the, the higher level objective that a company is trying to accomplish. And I think that's very, very important. Um, so it's not so much a carrying away. I think another thing I, I think we, we probably all recognize is as a manager, you're, you're actually managing down and you're also managing up, right? So you always have a boss somewhere. 
uh, even if you're the CEO, you got bored, you got to report to, right? And it's really how you manage that information flow. How do you convey the message up and down in your organization? And I think that's extremely critical. I think a good, a good leader in a company tend to be able to communicate well on both sides. Actually, I like what you said about the mission statement, caring and ethos behind it, because mm -hmm. I think that is what will help employees want to work for the organization rather than yep. being asked to work for the organization. There's a right. distinction. There's a purpose. There's yeah. a purpose. Yeah. And the purpose may be monetary. It's okay, right? We all we all trying to work for money and we want to make more money. So hey, it's easy, it's 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 easy for you to go and tell a sales guy, hey, you sell more, you make more money. That, that's easy. But when you go and try to explain that to an engineer, they might be saying, well, I don't care, right? It's, I'm not going to make personally more money. What does that really mean for me? So you kind of have to really tailor that message, you know, for the people that that's, that's on your team. So I just wanted to dig deep more into your baseball analogy that you mm -hmm. were describing, right? Because yeah. in my opinion, being a tech person, my my feedback that I get on the products I build is through my salesperson who tells me whether customer A likes it or customer B likes it, right? Mm -hmm. And customers' needs changes on a day-to-day -day basis in the world we live. Uh, how does the baseball analogy work with frequently changing customer base and customer expectation? I think, and, and I, I really think a, a healthy organization, everyone should have a good understanding of who are, you, who are the people you're serving. Right. So ultimately for a company, who are your customer and why do people want to work with you? And, you know, ultimately it's a lot of it had to do with your product, your services. And sometimes it's the company's reputation. Sometimes it's, hey, just because you guys made in America or, you know, there's a lot of reason why people want to deal with you. And the reason you need salespeople is because you need salespeople to understand what those factors are. I mean, there are people that buy stuff just because I can get delivery faster. You know, hey, if I can get delivery in two weeks, you know, and you deal, the other company says, hey, it's going to take four weeks. I So there's the reason why their salespeople still exist, right? You know, you're talking about, hey, you could look at Amazon. You can buy everything off the Amazon now, right? Why do I need a bunch of salespeople? Well, when the you need people to really understand why people make certain decisions. And, and you're right, there's sometimes customer do change their decision-making process or the budget goes away or the amount of money they can really spend, you know, changes or, you know, their customer now says, hey, that's not good enough. We want something else different. And and it's dynamic. And that's that's part of the business. You're just going to have to work with them. And I wouldn't say, hey, you kind of take the back, you take the, you go back on the base using the baseball analogy. It just means that you may be stuck on second base longer <laughs> until you could progress it to third third base, right? And and that's that's really it. That's that's what I think sales is, right? It's a constant communicating with your customer, understand the environment, the parameter, the market that you're working in, and it's dynamic. Things are gonna change. Um, and and there's nothing. A lot of time you have no control over. It. You know, I think this whole thing when people say always please your customer. There are times that we have to walk away from business. You, know, you just can't do it, right? So, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. I think the worst thing is you just ignore your customer. Speaking about that, I think prioritization within an organization is, is a balancing act today. I mean, between, you know, supporting existing products and choosing to innovate 
for you know a changing customer need or a changing market. So what, what do you think an organization needs to think about before choosing to innovate? And what are some steps that they can take beforehand to mitigate the risks that come along with innovation? I maybe answer your question a little indirectly. Is It really goes back to the leadership of the company defining what's really the purpose. Like when I go back and talk about vision, mission, and, and so forth, is what, do you, what does a company there for? You know, what, what's really, what's, what's the purpose of that company? So, you know, take maybe an analogy, you and I, you know, we, we used to work in the same company, right? Hey, we provide test solutions to company that's making certain type of product. But our vision might be, hey, we want to provide, you know, I used to joke around, you guys may not know this, but Lucent used to had a tagline. They said, we, we, we make things that makes communication better. And I like to joke around, I said, hey, you know, we test things that makes communications better, yeah. right? That's that's a vision statement, right? In my mind, and but I, I think it really comes back down to how you break that down. And and typically, what when once you go through that process, you may come back with what I call a long term vision of where you want to take the business. Let's say, hey, two years from now, I wanted to be the leader in certain, you know, maybe sub segment of the market or whatever that is. So I want to, I don't know do $100 million or whatever. You could set whatever the, the goal you want, what I call a long-term goal. And you start working your way back, okay? If I want to be $100 million, today, I'm only $30 million. Well, not just going to happen overnight. You have to kind of break that down. Maybe, you know, two years from now, I had to be a 70. And, you know, next year, I had to be a 50, right? That, and if I don't hit that, likely, I'm not going to hit 100, right? So you kind of have to work your way back. And when you start doing that process, you kind of help you crystallize your key objectives. So if somebody kind of going back to the question you asked, if they come, one of the customers come by and say, hey, I need you to fix this. I need you to come up with this solution for me. And then I'm going to buy a bunch of this. If you go back and look at your long-term objective for the business, if what they're asking you to do does not align with what you're saying you're going to do, that's a pretty easy decision, you know, and sometimes companies don't define that. Sometimes people might just say, hey, I want to be a hundred million dollars. Well, if that's your definition, then you do whatever, the, whatever you need to do just to increase business. And, and so the decision might be that, but if you say three years from now, I wanted to, I wanted to be the premium, you know, test measurement company, blah, blah, blah in that space. And if someone asks you to do something that does not help you get there, probably not a good thing. So I really think it had to do with how a company kind of set out their vision where they wanted to go. And, and part of the executive management team is every year they need to review that. You got to look at your product portfolio. You look at where you wanted to go. You look at your customer, their customers are telling you. You look at your resource, the internal resource, which is typically your human resource, human capital. And you look at all that and say, you know what? Does that still make sense? Can I still get there? And if I cannot get there, what do I need to do? Do I go acquire a company? Do I hire more people? Do I solicit more investment? Do I form partnership? Those are the kind of thing I think a, a, a well-run business would need to do. It's interesting you talk about human resources and the need for acquisition. If mm -hmm. the human resource or the existing people may not be enough in meeting the larger objectives, but yeah. 
in the news or all over LinkedIn, you hear about the great resignation, right? Yeah. And people finding it hard to acquire talent and how much of how much acquisition costs have gone up uh, post pandemic. In that sense, uh, what are the key motivations for an employee to stay back and what, how should organizations reinvent themselves to retain talent? I, I really think you know, obviously compensation is a big thing, you know, allow people to work from home and, and, and there, it, it's important for certain people. And I get that. I think all these things, but I think what really motivate employee, it's a sense of purpose, right? Like you want to be in a company where you feel like you have a sense of purpose and you're, you are working towards a purpose and you are going to get there. And, and then you truly believe in that mission that you're in. Okay. And I think obviously compensation is a big piece of that, right? You might not, you might say, hey, you know what? I can go somewhere else and do do my other thing I wanted to do and still fulfill that. That's fine. But I think if a company loses that, that's when you're starting to see people wanting to leave, right? Because they don't know how they belong, how they can contribute to a company. And those are the kind of thing I think a lot of time you know, management really need to kind of convey that message. And your that message could be, hey, we just want to make a lot of money for everybody. That's okay. But I think you need to be able to explain that to people. Um, yeah, and, and if you cannot, if a company, uh, if someone comes to me and say, hey, why am I working here? And if I can explain to them why, that's probably not a good reason. And, you know, that's probably not a good place you want it to be, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, that's that's my view, um, but I, I think a good company, you know, they tend to let the company, and, you know, you see a lot of people went to a startup because they believe in the mission they're in. And obviously there's a big, you know, part of goal at the end of that rainbow, if things does go well, but you really have to believe in that mission that you're in. I think sense of belonging is, yeah. is essential uh, for an employee to stay. So uh, I'm going to shift focus a little bit and ask some selfish questions for on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I believe that what you do within your 40 hour work week is just as important as what you do outside of it towards your career. Mm -hmm. um, for someone like Karthik and I looking to start that extraneous work outside, what, what is one piece of advice you would give us? And, you know, where do you think we should start? Working for somebody, it's, it's a job. Okay, that shouldn't be most of your life. Um, so I think the most important thing is you have to really treat your personal life probably, yeah, to think about it and plan more about it, your personal part of your life than the work life. Uh, I think a lot of people and myself included when I was younger, spend more time trying to plan out your career. Where do I want to go? What do I need to do to move up? And I really think you need to also have that strategy or maybe a better strategy also on your personal side of it. And I think, you know, that also bring a lot more fulfillment and they also create less stress when things are not going as well in your career as well. So I really think that's really more as balance. And, and you know, I think a lot of young people when now they're starting, you know, start a new career, they, they focus a lot on their career. And I think that's something people need to really think about. It's, it is a very important part of the, you know, overall uh, being a good person and, and to be able to really strive and, and cope with the different stress that comes down, 
in your career, in your life. So I think Kartik Tash is telling us to get off of our chairs and live your life. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> no, like, I'm not. He's like, you, you guys are just doing a job. You're working for something. <laughs> and I guess one last question when it comes to entrepreneurship, you've had your ventures throughout your career mm -hmm. where you tried to do something. You learned quite a bit. Um, but for someone who's looking to start in that space, what would you know, what are some words of encouragement that you would give versus words of caution? Think twice before you do it, <laughs> because 90% of the startup fails. Uh, you know, I done one and that didn't work out. So, yeah, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm just saying that jokingly. I, I really think you, you have to have the grit. You really have to. I think we kind of romanticize startup a little bit you know like hey you know i get i'm doing my own startup I, and really it's a lot of hard work i mean so i think the the, the biggest thing i think is passion you really got to believe in the stuff that you're doing uh, if you don't believe in it it's probably not gonna work <laughs> because if you don't believe in it nobody else will right so yeah. it's your it's your thing you really got to believe it and you gotta be willing to put the time and effort in to make it successful even when everybody else around you says this is not gonna work yeah. Right. If you really, really gonna do it, so find a job, get to know more people, understand what a corporate world is. Because even if you do your startup, you are gonna be engaging with other people. You have to learn how to work with people. And the best place to start is when you come out of college, go find a job so you can start learning some of that. How would you define personally? How would you define success? Obviously, I think I mentioned before, it's a little different for everyone, what success means. In my book is that, hey, do I enjoy the things I'm doing? You know, does it provide me, you know, um, do, I, do, 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 I, do I feel happy every morning waking up and say, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing today? Do I feel like the, whatever the reward I get for doing what I'm doing is worth the time I'm putting into it? And hey, and, and whatever that means for each person, that may be monetary, that may be a, a sense of accomplishment, whatever that is. Um, and if you feel that's worth it, and I, to me, that's success because we, it's not, not, not everybody's able to find a job that they can wake up and, and say, boy, I'm really excited to go to work every day to do what I'm going to do today. And to me, if you can find a place like that and you could be able to do that every day of your life, I to me, that's, a, that, that's success. Well said. So, Tash, thank you very much uh, for talking <laughs> to Patrick and I. And uh, I think you had some very interesting perspectives on, on just approaching um, your work as contributing to an organization rather than, you know, more compared to contributing to yourself as well. So... I think, I think uh, that was something that uh, that was unique about this conversation that we had. So, <laughs> well, I'm um, glad. I'm glad I could share, uh, you know, my experience with you guys. And, you know, I, I'm also excited for what you guys are doing right now as well. And, and like I said, hopefully I'll offer a little piece of uh, uh, my experience and to be able to share that with everybody. So. For those who are valuable, because I ended up learning a lot uh, in this interaction with you. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Tash. Thank you very All much. All right. Well, take care, guys.